Well, good morning. Wherever you are, a lot of you are in this room, there's people online, we have people in different campuses. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter where you are, there's one thing I want for you today. I want for you to find air condition this week. That's what I want, right? I got amens within the first 30 seconds. That's where we're at. We need it because it is, um, you know, we're, I, I follow Jesus because I'm trying to escape what hell feels. All right, let's pray before I get off. Let's, let's pray before I get off script. God, we just thank you today for the, the privilege and the benefit and the authority that you've given to speak truth here. And I just ask that um, as, as we receive your word, God, that we would um, leave forever changed by hearing it. And that anything that comes from here that's just for me, that's stuff that, that just seeps into the background. That God, your truth is what remains and changes us forever. Amen. All right. Well, we are in a series. We're landing it today. It's called How to Live. And what we've been discussing is how having the right foundation affects everything. A foundation that is on Jesus Christ. It doesn't just affect how we treat our bodies. It affects how we treat others. And why this is important is because Paul is driving all of this thing to one massive idea. One very, very big point, And it really is answering the question, how do you live? Now that's really important because we have been in the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be back in there today. Paul was writing to some people who live in a place called Thessalonica. And this is why they needed to know how to live. They really did think within their immediate future, like maybe even a month off, Jesus was coming back. And I don't know about you, sign me up for that because I love Jesus. And I know that they were saying when Jesus comes back, he's going to make everything new and he's going to make everything right. I tell you, I'll sign up for that too. But obviously we're still here because Jesus is saying I'm still going to bring some more people to me before I come back, right? Well, the thing is, they were living in light of Jesus come back next month. And that'll affect how you live right now, don't it? Like, if you really did think, take a minute and think on this. If you really thought in one month, by the end of August, that Jesus was going to come back and everything was going to be made new, how would you live? Some of you are like, for the first time in my adult life, I will not be worrying about that student loan anymore, right? You're like, liberty, right? I think that there are some of us in here, it wouldn't be about the student loan, but what would happen is this. All of that political conversation would so get put in perspective, wouldn't it? How fickle and fleeting that conversation is, right? I think there's some of us in here, if you found out right now in this room that, that the world was going to end or be made new in a month, before you left this room, you would have already texted your boss and said, I quit, right? You're like, I got kids, I got grandbabies, heaven's about to come, I'm going to get a month head start on that, right? That's how we're going to be. Some of us, you quit right now. I Okay, I get it. Don't quit, all right? I'm not a prophet. I'm not going to say that. But I do think you see where we're going with this, right? It affects everything. And it would also affect, uh, if you follow Christ, it would also affect how you would treat the world around you. And by default, I do believe we would tend to go to one extreme or the other because we're all humans, right? Some of us would become extremely passive, meaning this. Jesus is coming back in a month. I've been telling you, yahoos, for 30 years you need to follow him. You don't listen. You know what? I'm going to ride this out. It's about to be real good for me. Your time's coming. Until then, i got to catch Loki on Disney Plus before Jesus comes back. That's where some of y'all going to be, right? Then some of us in here, you're going to be really not passive but aggressive. Are you insane? You don't have time for Loki, right? You need to turn, repent, or burn because it's coming, baby. This house is falling down. Like some of us are going to go hard in one of those two directions, now, this is where I get real honest with myself, and I'd ask you to go there with me, and that is this. Yes, we would go to some extremes if the world was ending in a month, but 
it does not take the world ending to reveal sometimes where we are passive and aggressive in our own lives now, does it? All of us at least have one place right now where we're being passive and we know it. There's a conversation we need to have. There's some forgiveness that we've been withholding that needs to happen. There's something big in our life that I'm avoiding because what it may lead to. On the alternative, there are places in all of our life where we're being too aggressive, getting worked up about stuff that really doesn't matter in the light of eternity, right? Showing how we act when we don't get our way. And I'm not, this isn't a judgment. I'm right there with you. And that's actually why Paul's been laying out all these principles. And that's why we get to today. Because Paul's going to land his thought. This is really important. It's a good thing if, you are, if you're with me today on this sermon. And that's why. Because everything has been building up today. And today you get to join us as we land the plane. But also, conversely, if you've been joining us every week, I'm telling you this. If we don't get the principle that Paul lays out today, you can land the plane all day long. It's just going to crash because today the foundation is getting rolled out. Y'all with me? So this is the thing he's going to be answering. How do you live? That's a loaded question, isn't it? How do you live? Depending on who or where you go for that question will greatly determine the answer you get. If you take the question, how do I live, and you blast it to our culture, doesn't matter what, what space in our culture, more than likely you're going to get one answer back. And in some own form, it's always going to look like this. Here's how you are to live according to our culture. Realize your true self and be true to that. Now, here's the deal. That sounds pretty empowering, right? Like if I was at a motivational conference, I can sell that to y'all. Don't be a hypocrite. Realize your true potentiality. Become the better version of you. Here's the one thing I would ask, though, through the lens of Christ. Look at that statement an extra second longer. Because there are people right now listening to this sermon on the most truest level, you have a heart predisposition to some addictions. Do I really want you to be the truest addict you can be? Just because of the path my life has walked and the tenderness in my heart to this area, I know that there are people listening right now who you have legitimate struggles with thoughts of suicide. That would be the worst thing I could ever say to you to become the best version of someone with the thoughts of suicide, right? If I was a lazy jerk, would you want me to be the best version of that? Would that be your prayer? Well, that Delmar who just preached, I just pray God you would fulfill him, make him the biggest, laziest jerk for the glory of you and the betterment of his family. None of you would pray that. Because I think what we're finding out is we just lightly lean into this. We don't even have to heavily lean into that thought. And that is this, being true to who you are is not just bad advice. It's anti-gospel. It's, it's polishing up a broken thing that's still broken. And we believe that scripture teaches very firmly, Jesus died not to make you like yourself. Jesus died so you can then become and start to live like who? Jesus. Jesus wants you to be like him. That's the call to our life, which is a lot greater than a broken version of me. And that's the call. 
And that's the culture's answer, right? The culture's answer, be a better version. But there's a different answer that we're offered, a much more empowering, long-lasting, beneficial answer for our life. And it is in 1 Thessalonians. And that is this, when we see that God is our teacher, his truth is our teacher, his truth shows us how to live. And we're going to back up a couple weeks to where Clay was because it really does lay the foundation for where this plan is going to lay. So if you got verse 7, um, here, here's where we are. For God has not called us to impurity. He's not called me to be a better version of my old self. But in holiness, a.k.a. holiness, you are set apart. You are different. You are not the same as everything else. You are something made new. You are holy. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but he, he who gives the Holy Spirit to you. Now, here's the deal. If you got your Bibles, feel free to underline the word holiness and underline the word Holy Spirit and draw a line between the two because you don't get one without the other. So many problems with the state of Christianity today is Christianity trying to live like God without having God. And that's what we got to realize in that, and that the truth is this, the way to live is connected to the Holy Spirit in you. And when we really mine down into the bedrock of that, what we see is this. Being a good Christian, it's not really as much about what you do. It's about who you know. Because in Christ, we believe this. And I'll preface it with this question. And some of you have been Christians for longer than I've been alive in this room. So I'll ask you this question. And I hope that it would encourage you as much today as it did the day you met him. And that question is this. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Because Scripture teaches this, when we meet Jesus by faith for the forgiveness of our sins, Jesus doesn't just look at you and stamp you like you're going to Disney World. Okay, you got to pass, go to heaven. No, 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 no. Jesus joins you through the power of his Holy Spirit and walks with you. And what that means is this, when it talks about how to live, what, what it comes to is he becomes our teacher, not the culture. But here's the deal. If I stop there, I have failed you today. If I just said, well, Jesus teaches you how to live, that's great. How many of y'all been trying to do that for 30 years? Can't nail it, right? See, he doesn't just teach you how to live. Through the power of the Spirit, he also becomes your enabler, equipping you to live in a way contrary to what your desires would have you do. And how does that play out in our everyday life? It plays out in this. We know how to live. Christ follower, you know how to live. Whether sickness comes to your way and wrecks your family, guess what you can do? Know how to live. Hey, whether anxiety comes, managing middle school and high school, oof, right? You can know how to live. Being a good parent, whew, what does that even mean? I don't know, but in the middle of it, I can still know how to live. Having anxiety because this world is falling apart around me and I can't do anything about it? Okay, that's crazy, but you know what? I can still know how to live. I'm going to tell you this. Hopefully right now you want to know how to live because we're four weeks into this, right? Well, here it is. If you'd have read ahead, you could have cheated because it's in black and white in verse 11. Look at this. This is how to live. And aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. That's not really what I was wanting right? Like what I want to hear is get me some face paint and a horse because it's Braveheart time, right? That's what I want to hear. Instead, I feel like I get shut your mouth and do your job, right? That's, that's, that's totally different ends of the spectrum. But when we look into that, it's very important that we don't remove the text 
from the context. That's, that's some of the worst things that ever happened. Context is this. He's writing to the people who lived in Thessalonica. If you go to Acts chapter 17, you can see when Paul formed that church. He came to Thessalonica. They didn't know Jesus. He steps into the city. He goes, listen, get your life, yeah, there's a place that's missing, and there's a place that's wrecked. You're a sinner. You need to repent. You need to follow Jesus. And guess what a lot of people in Thessalonica did? Repented and followed Jesus. And a church was formed there. And that's fantastic. But you know what Scripture says about any time the gospel's preached, right? Scripture says this. The gospel smells like the aroma of life to those who are being saved. But it has the stench of death to those who would reject God. And the same day a church was born in Thessalonica, a riot broke out. The people in Thessalonica, all they knew was struggle. So when he says live quietly, that goes contrary to anything they've experienced. And I'm going to tell you, that's not necessarily what we want to experience, right? I mean, October 10th, Bishopville Campus is going to launch. How would you love it if we got the report back? Well, how did it go? It went so good, a riot broke out and burnt down literally the place. Like, praise be to God, right? No one would say that. And that's what Paul is calling them to remember. He's saying, listen, remember when you, when you first met Jesus? The message of the cross puts you in a place of tension with the world by default so much that we don't need to go and add our own stuff to it. We got enough. We got enough. It's not, this verse is not go be passive. It's keep things in check. I promise you this. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, wasn't murdered because he was passive in his bedroom. He was murdered because he had a message. So as much as we can, this is really where I think he's landing us. Every one of you here today, if you follow Christ, and if you don't, you can hold him to this standard because it's a scripture. And that is this. You, I, are to be like a smoke detector. You're like, what? That's not in the Bible. Okay, well, follow me, right? What's a smoke detector do? In as much as possible, it would be best used if it lived in your house and never made a noise, right? It aspires to sit in your house and be quiet. But it is pre-programmed to make noise about one thing, and it ain't your wife's cooking, right? <laughs> it's pre-programmed to make noise about one thing, and that is smoke. Because where there's smoke, there's a fire. As Christ followers, we're pre-programmed to make noise about one thing. Anything else we're making noise about, we got to define what that is. But Scripture is very clear. Paul's very clear. We are pre-programmed to sound an alarm for one thing, and that is this, the good news of Jesus. That's our North Star. Anything else, we've lost the plot. It's the good news of Jesus. The Christian agenda is tied to the gospel, which there's a question I need to ask. And even as I was writing the question, I kind of wanted to remove it from my sermon because it indicts me in front of all of you. But then I feel like, well, that doesn't help because we're all in this thing called life together. If you really want to know if this is playing out in your life, here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Is your noise connected to the good news? Right? Is the noise you make with your life, if you trace that noise back, what's it connected to? When I was younger, there was this guy named Charles, and he was a, 
he was an older guy in our church. He was retired. He came up to me one day, and he basically said, hey, you told me a while back you were going to go to seminary. Are you ever going to go? And I was like, well, I've thought about it, but that's work, you know. He goes, but you have the ability to do it. He's like, and I do think if you went there, you'd be able to share God's word better. It seems to be something in front of your life, not in front of it, but yours. And I was like, okay, I'll think about it. Went away, didn't think about it. Next week, I come back to church. Charles walks up to me, he goes, how you doing, Dale? I said, hello. He shakes my hand, and he puts it in my hand. I look, there's a $100 bill. He says, if I can, I'll pay for your first book. And I'm like, Charles, you're on Social Security, man. You barely, he goes, I know, you need to feel it. So... I went, I did some research, started going back to school. While I was in school there, I started dating the girl who would become my wife. Three kids, right? One six-week-old. I'm on coffee with you this morning, okay? <laughs> but then, also, I, every single door that led for me to come into Alice Drive only opened because I went to that seminary. I am standing in front of you today as a testimony to someone else who decided to make a little bit of noise in the right direction. But then, on the other hand, we have to like lean in and be really honest. We often do get distracted to make what we would call the bad noise, right? And I can tell you, we can sit here and parcel it all down and discuss it and talk about how it makes us feel, but let's just cut to it. Bad noise is always related to our preferences, right? Bad noise always, something didn't go my way, something isn't right. And what we see is this, your noise reveals your message. And when we're living, here's what Paul's calling us to do in the first half of this text, and that is this, we need to live in light of our greatest message. So when people hear the things we discuss, when they hear the noise we make, what does that noise send them back to? Does it send them back to Jesus, or does it send them back to my preference? Because I'll tell you this, we talk about smoke detectors, they're very helpful. They have one job, send off noise, because they want to save your life. That's what we should be doing. But let me tell you what the most annoying thing in the world is. Some of y'all about to amen, you don't even know I'm telling the future, right? most annoying thing is when the smoke detector has a bad battery in it. <laughs> amen. I moved into a house when I first came back to Sumter. It's a 1,500-square-foot house. For whatever reason... The code had like 10 smoke detectors in my house. And the person, before they moved out, I guess they were helping me out. They replaced every battery in all of the smoke detectors, which was fine until they all started dying within the same month period, right? Seriously, I'm trying to sleep. It's like 3 in the morning. I'm just like dreaming, dreaming. Also, oh, gosh, what happened? Wake up. I go downstairs. I hear the beep again. Oh, no, it must have been upstairs. Because then beeps, you know, I go up there, I'm digging behind the closet. I ended up locating all these smoke detectors. By the time I got to like the fourth or fifth one in, I said, I am done with this. If I burn down, the Lord knows my hour of departure. I yanked them all down, put them in a drawer, and I hung them back up the day I left. Because there's nothing more annoying than a broke smoke detector. I would rather live in lieu of fire <laughs> than with a broke smoke detector. Something with a low battery. Listen, as, as people who follow Christ in this world, there's nothing more annoying than a Christian with a low battery. There's nothing more repulsive. I would rather live in lieu of an eternal fire than a Christian whose core is broke. 
And that's where we have to ask the question. And the question is this, is my core healthy? That's what Paul is leading them to. And a good way to test whether or not our core is healthy, is no magic. It's this, look at our hurts. Do you have any hurts in your life that are unresolved? Because our hurts often create unnecessary battles. Do we have any hang-ups in our life? Any places where we're like, I've been trying to figure this out. It's easy for me just to be passive and not do it. Any hang-ups? Or do we have any bad habits? I've been trying to quit this for so long, I can't. Here's the thing. When we have that some mixture of those things, we end up fighting unnecessary battles and then asking others to join us in them. That's been our country the last how many years? A dead country. Hey, can we blow it up that? That's our world apart from Christ. And today, if you're here today and you have that, here's the question I would lean in and ask you. I would say this. It would be good exercise to check your core. Because chances are, if it, if, it, if it remotely scratches you in this room, if you take it to Jesus outside this room, he can really do some work. And I ask you, don't leave that on the floor. Take that with you and say, God, where, am, where do I need a core check? Where do you need to test my battery? I promise you he will. It might hurt you got to yank something outside of this and shove something new in it to get it back. But you'll be better. And that's ultimately how we act. That's ultimately how we act in front of this world. We're living light of our message. But it's not just about our actions. It's also about what we do. Look at verse 11, the second half of there. It says, and work with your hands as we instructed you. Okay, as we are carrying the right message, we are performing our work in the right way. I love that he, he says, lean, he goes, work. Thessalonians, work. Don't quit your job, okay? Yes, he may be coming back next month. Not a good idea to quit your job, right? And he was having to lean in and give us some really practical advice here. But at the same time, I would say, we never see that today, do we? We don't ever see people, you know, coming to a little bit of money. Hey, I'm doing pretty good right now. I don't need to work anymore, Right? We don't ever see people get handouts and say, well, I'll just, I'll go back to that well later when I need some more, right? Y'all look at me like I'm crazy. You're like, yeah, I see that everywhere, right? But see what? It's not a new thing under the sun. And the truth is, being a Christ follower is not an excuse to be lazy. It's not. Matter of fact, being lazy and mooching off your neighbors is the number one surefire guarantee to make sure, make sure that your neighbors hate you. Right? If you want someone to hate you, be seen as a taker. And Paul ultimately is like, listen, we want people to receive the good news of Jesus. So in as much as it depends on you, be a taker. I mean, be a giver, not a taker, right? Be a giver. Because as Christians, we should be known as people who want something for someone instead of from them. Like, I want for my enemies for them to know Jesus. I want for someone to be released from the guilt that comes from the wreckage that is their life. I want for someone to have a joy that I can't even explain. I want for someone to have a community of faith people in a local church. I want so many things for you. If I just come to you at the same time and say, but I need this, need this, it negates it all. We have to be known for what we're for. Which means there's a really important thing we need to receive, and that is this. If, if you're a Christ follower, there is an objective measurement of how mature you are in Christ. 
And I do think, yes, it has to do with how much we know. I think sometimes we overemphasize that because oftentimes we don't emphasize what we do. And the truth is, mature, mature Christians, we produce more than we consume in this world. Mature Christians mimic Jesus and that we produce more than we consume. Now, I do know that that can sit a little heavy in this room. Because there may be some of us in here like, I get it. I'm not as young as I used to be. I can't work and I can't produce as much. Can we pause for a second? Because I get that. There's a friend of mine, goes to this church, had a really rough month. One of the most hardworking men I know. But life happened and it messed with his body. And he wasn't able to like, he can't go out and work now like he used to. And I called him the other day and he was just in tears. He's like, I'm having to watch my wife do the hedges. This is humiliating. And I just stopped. I said, I get it. And he goes, no, you don't. I feel worthless. And I was literally in the middle of writing this when I was talking to him. And I said, well, can I share something within you? What you have produced in my life through being a, a good friend, what you have produced in my life by being a faithful member of God's kingdom, telling me things I don't want to hear sometimes, what you have produced just by your availability to me, that has produced more in me than any hedge you ever did. We produce until we die. That's what we do. And I love it because what we see here is it really adds a lot of clarity. John Maxfield says in light of production is this, we add value in Jesus' name. And that's what my friend does in my life. That's the call Paul's telling Thessalonica. Listen, don't take from your community, add value to your community. And I love also what he attaches to it. He says, and do it with your hands, right? Don't try to weasel yourself out. Don't try to get rich quick. You do it with your hands. Because who are we called to be like, everyone? Jesus, the very God who formed this existence out of his hands, the very, with his own words, and formed us out of his hands. The very God who came down here, and even though he was God, was not so prideful that he couldn't get a job, and he worked with Joseph as a carpenter. I just think that's fascinating that God fashioned things out of wood to help his local community. And I also think it's very telling that that same community would take those same hands and stretch them out over a block of wood and nail nails into them and raise him in the air so he could help the world. God works with his hands. We work with our hands and we live in light of what we produce not what we consume. And the thing about Jesus is this, he's still working. You know how I know? Because people are still meeting him. He's still building his church. He's still making things new. So this brings us to the next tough question we have to ask ourselves, and that is this, am I adding value to the people around me? When I think about the communities that I engage my time in, am I adding value? And that doesn't just mean I make it better. Am I adding value explicitly in Jesus' name? which means I say his name. I don't make them guess whether or not I follow his name. Am I adding value? That's the way we're to act. That's what we should do. And what I love about Paul here is he gives us the why. Whys are important, right? You ever have the parent who grew up and says, do this, and you said, why? And they said, do as I say, 
I ain't giving you a why, and you're like, I don't want to do it now. I love Paul. He gives us the why. Look at verse 12. Check this out. This is why we live this way, everyone, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. In the Greek, this could also be understand so that your behavior in front of everybody else is respectable. And that's important. And Paul's not a hypocrite. He drinks his own juice. You may or may not know, in Paul's other time, he is a tent maker. He says, I don't want to be a burden on the local church. I'm going to go make tents. And I'm going to make my income make a tent. And I'm even going to leverage that to share the good news of Jesus. And all of this, what he's saying, you've got the how, now I've given you the why, and it's boiling down to the final point, how to live. You want to know how to live? You live with this mindset. Your life is the message. That's it. You can't step away from that. Your life, and, and I'm not just talking about what you're doing, because Paul's just not talking about what you're doing. Holistically, your life is the message, which means this, is the good news of Jesus on your lips? Is the gospel, is what God is doing in your life, is that presented to your culture through your mouth? And then not only that, are your actions in the world or the things you're doing, are they reflecting that good news in your life? Because ultimately, this isn't a just work harder sermon. Like, to be honest, just work harder sermons, those always leave me feeling really jazzed up and then really depressed like three days later, right? That's not the point of anything. Nothing about the Bible is just work harder. What it is, it's about your witness in the work. So when people look at how I treat my wife, what's the message I send? When people see you not get your way, what's the message you send the world? When people see your effort in your work or in your school, what's the message that the world sees? When people see you get angry, what's the message of your life to the world? You can't get around it because Paul won't let us get around it. What's the message? Because living well means having the right posture before this world. I remember one time I was going to a conference and my friend let me um, handle the directions. So we got there at like 1 a.m. because we got super lost, right? And uh, while we walked in, he's a little frustrated. I'm a little tired. We got to get up at 7 a.m., walk into the lobby of this hotel, and I hear an alarm going off. Except it's not an alarm. It's this couple, right? They are just angry. There's like this 24, 25-year-old young man behind the desk. And this couple, man, she is just, you, I've, I've, I don't even know. Do companies have to go out of their way to find the filth that is you? Like, she is just, wow, you, like, letting him have it, ripping his looks, ripping his performance, ripping everything. And he's just sitting there like, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, I'm getting your card right away. And I'm just like, oh. And you, ever, you ever been around it and you get embarrassed for the person? Like, that was me. I walked in the room. So she's just screaming. Her husband's standing there like this, like, don't mess with me. I'll probably hit you, right? I walk up behind him, and the, the, the bellboy, or whatever you call him, is right there, and he looks at me pretty embarrassed. And I just went to him like this. I was like, that's all good. AKA, I'm not going to cause a problem. Just make it through this, right? So, so finally, he gets the woman her card or whatever they needed to do. They go into the elevator, mash the button. The elevator's closed, and they're like, they're just staring at him. They're doing that weird, awkward, like, what does that fix, you know? And then finally, I step up to him. I'm like, hey, uh, well, we're late, so here's my stuff. And he goes, okay, thanks. And I, and I was like, sorry about all that, man, you know. And he got my stuff. I was going to the elevator. 
And I pushed the button, it opens. Before I get in the elevator, a guy comes up to me, he goes, hey, 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 hold up, hold up. I said, yeah? He goes, you're a Christian, ain't you? I said, how you know? And then he said something I will never forget. He goes, because kingdom knows kingdom, bro. That's what he said. And I'll tell you what, the entire last five minutes of my life got clarified. It was like a Paul Harvey story, you know? I knew the rest of the story. Here's the rest of the story. That guy was taking a tongue lashing and a beating because he was thinking to himself, as much as it depends on me, I'm going to live peaceably and quiet in front of this couple because if any opportunity presents itself, I'm going to tell them about the thing that matters the most. And his name is Jesus. And uh-oh, this guy just walked in the back. My Holy Spirit radar just told me he's a Christian too. So you about to be in a Christian sandwich if this goes down. It's going to be like Chick-fil-A up in here. That's what he's saying. That's his whole mind. That's this fella. And that is the pinnacle of what it looks like when our foundation is Christ, everyone. And when I step back and just reflect on that room, when I walked into that lobby on a 10-year on a removed perspective, you know what I see? There's only one person in that room that I want to have a friend with. And it wasn't that couple. It was that young man. And the only difference between that couple and that man was his name was Jesus Christ. That's who he's called us to be. Not the alarms, not the people out there. So today I'll just end it really quick. There are some people here right now, you are doing so well. Your batteries are charged up. You know how I know? Because you encourage us. You encourage the people around. Also, you provide good, good feedback. And I would tell you, if that's you today, would you praise God for you? Because I'm already doing it. Your neighbor's already doing it. But I know there's some of you in here right now. It's tough. You're a little half full. You're like, my alarm is chiming every 10 minutes, and I can't. Here's the thing. I, I tell you what. Would you commit to at least pray for that? If you need today, you can come to the next step room. If you're at a campus, there's a pastor in the back. If you're online, there's a chat room. Step into there and talk with us. We're not perfect. Hey, every person got a low battery at some point. But I also think there's some people here right now, you look back at your life, and if you could, you're like, it's just noise. And I feel like all I do is scream into the void and nothing talks back. Can I encourage you with this? Someone has talked back. His name is Jesus. And he didn't just talk. He acted on the cross for you. He wants to meet you today, not just to be your teacher, but to be your enabler. And if you need to talk, that's a conversation I'll stay here until 1 a.m. to talk to you about. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the kingdom that you've created. God, I pray that we would be people that are known by how we sound the alarm. God, let us not make noise over things we shouldn't. God, that we would carry the torch of who you are wherever it goes to see as many people as possible, take their next step toward you, and celebrate while we're doing it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.